Well, please be seated and open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in, book of, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, verses 3 through 11. If you're borrowing a Bible from us, you're welcome to do that, page 1008 in the Bible provided for you. Do you ever ask when mistreated on account of Christ, are you mistreating me, God? Or when brothers and sisters are mistreated, do you ever wonder if God is mistreating them? And maybe you don't put it exactly that way. Maybe... Maybe for you, as it can be for me, hardship and costs in the path of discipleship are matters merely to endure things we need to get through rather than trials that we need. This morning's passage addresses Christians who may well wonder that very thing. If in all of the mistreatment that they're experiencing for the sake of Christ, is the Lord mistreating them? Could he, after all, not intervene? Couldn't he, if this is a race, as Scripture describes the Christian life, which is hard, couldn't he just pick us up and, you know, take us to the finish line? And why doesn't he? This morning's passage, we have for our original readers and for us, a gentle and appropriate rebuke. Verses 3 through 11, Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this is God's word for us this morning. Being a father is for me one of the happiest responsibilities in life. I was going to say 
the happiest thing in life, that the marriage should go before that. And then I thought, well, it flows from the marriage. It's the fruit of marriage. It's the project of marriage. It's not disconnected from marriage. I chose the word responsibilities to pull it apart a little bit. Marriage involves responsibilities, but it is in the first place, of course, a relationship. Fatherhood is a relationship that entails in a very immediate and serious way responsibilities to our children. And I love, love, love being a dad. It's also one of the hardest responsibilities for obvious reasons, because of them and also because of me. So parenting is immensely difficult. And those of you who are parents know all about that. You feel at the same time so grateful to have received this gift from God and you are so afraid of messing it up, even as you kind of are. It could go so wrong in so many ways and you can sense your own sin coming to bear on that instance of discipline or that conversation or that missed opportunity or those missed, missed years. Uh, parenting is the source of so much real happiness for us and so much real hardship. It's not just hard, it's a source of great, great hardship and many of you know that as well. Well, fatherhood is a happy and hard responsibility. But the happiest and hardest responsibility of fatherhood may be discipline, which is the focus of our, our morning. Discipline is hard for the same reasons that fatherhood can be hard, because of them and because of me. But discipline is also at least as happy as it is hard, as delightful as it is difficult, and for less obvious reasons that we'll explore this morning. But let me add to that, that not only is it a happy thing for parents, it is a happy thing for children. And even if we know why, because we're familiar with this passage, we're going to spend an hour ruminating on this, but not just for our kids' sake or our parents' sake, but for all of our sake in relationship to our shared Father above. Discipline, this word here, occurs in different contexts. In the New Testament, we have it in parenting context, like uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We have it in athletic training race contexts, like 2 Timothy Three. And in this passage this morning, it actually comes to us in both. You may remember from the verses just before, verses 1 and 2, we're to run the race with endurance. We're to look to Jesus. That's race, athletic imagery. The Christian life is like a difficult race. But at the end of our passage here, verses 12 and 13, we'll be told to strengthen our weak knees. We're, we're faint-hearted easily faint-hearted. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That race and athletic imagery is in the background. When you think of discipline in the context of a sport, uh, let's say football, for example, 
Uh, I suppose if you were to show up to a practice and catch a team doing laps around a field, well, it may be correctional, it may be corrective, Uh, maybe someone did something wrong, maybe one person was late, and that's what the whole team has to do, so you get a little bit of physical uh, punishment in, but also, you know, shame because, you know, he's the guy who who made the team run. So it could be corrective, but it could also be merely constructive to strengthen the team for something difficult ahead. And so it is in the Christian life. Discipline can be corrective. The Lord disciplines us in our sin. And it may be that some hardship you're going through is intended to signal to you and draw your attention to your own sinfulness so that you might Repent. Often enough, the Lord's discipline is not in response to some sin we have committed, but it is to strengthen us in order that we may not sin. In the context of this, in the context of this uh, passage this morning, even in the first few verses, we see that the sin the author has in mind is that of apostasy, leaving off Christ, giving up on the race altogether. Giving up on the race to chase a woman, not your wife. Giving up on the race to give up on Christ who is costing you so much, maybe your job, maybe a relationship, maybe a good name in the community. Christ comes with all kinds of costs, and following him and faithfulness to him means living a certain way. And so so the, the readers of this original passage were tempted to leave off Christ because some of their friends had their property plundered, some of them had their property plundered. Death was a real prospect. The world hated them as they, the world has hated their Savior. And they're told here at the beginning, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. To which I would want to respond, well, I know that because I'm alive. This kind of sounds like saying, it's not that hard. Um, it is saying that. You haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So take courage. Your Savior has gone before you and he has suffered in greater ways than you. And the Father approves of him. And you don't need to worry that you are rejected by your father. There are encouraging takeaways from the truth that it's not as bad as it, as it could be. Look to Jesus. He had it harder. But there is more for us here than just that. He is gently helping them initially with a comparison between their suffering and their Lord's suffering. But the body of this passage is given to a different comparison. A comparison of their relationship with God as his children to the relationship of children to their earthly fathers in this life. There are some ten references to discipline here. The passage will unfold for us in, in three movements. We'll consider the privilege of discipline, the productivity of discipline, and the good news that it is only for a point in time. First, let's consider the privilege of discipline. Discipline is not for everyone. Discipline is not for everyone, verses 5 through 8. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. It is an immense 
privilege to be disciplined by the Lord, either as a response, a chastisement for your own sin, or as preparation and training that you might not sin in leaving Him. It is an immense privilege to be disciplined by the Lord. We may doubt that. That may strike our ears strange, but it is only because we are forgetful people. There are two things we may have forgotten. Have you, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is not a condescending question. He's leading them along. Dear friends, have you forgotten in your hardship, in, in the discipline that you are enduring right now, that may lead you to wonder if the Lord has abandoned you or if he's just on the sidelines or off doing something else and, and uninvolved and disinterested in your hardship? Dear friend, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And our author quotes scripture, which is just what we ought to do for each other. And this author has it ready at hand. A quote from the book of Proverbs. There are two things we may be tempted to forget. What the Lord says to us through discipline, you are my son. That's what the Lord says to you in your hardships that are tied to your walk with Christ, which is really every hardship in life because we are ever tempted to leave off Christ to find some easier way. And some of our hardships are immediately related to our walk with Christ. Faithfulness in marriage, faithfulness especially to confess Christ as Lord when that comes with costs. And the Lord's discipline and all of the hardship that you will know in this life for his sake, in all of that, the Lord is saying something to you. He is saying, you are my son. Hardship for his sake, discipline for his sake, is an evidence, it is a validation of your relationship with him. It is, we could even say, a distinguishing mark of your sonship. Now, don't be thrown off by this language of sonship. For our purposes at the moment, if you're a woman and a daughter of the Father, this applies to you just the same. It isn't to narrow to the male gender. There's an important reason which we'll explore before we're done, why he uses the language of sons and why that's good news for you. But hear this for us all just the same. Discipline is a distinguishing mark of a son's relationship to the father. I say distinguishing mark. Consider this. Others can feed my kids. Others fed me when I was a kid. Mac and cheese and hot dogs at Brad's house across the woods. Um, Donuts at Jeff's house on Saturday morning if I was over there. There's all kinds of things that someone else can do for kids. Feeding them, clothing them, giving them shelter, all that kind of happens around here. We may change a diaper and put shorts back on. 
shelter? Well, here's the church. Mom and dad aren't around, but, but kids in our nursery and in preschool, they're sheltered and someone else is doing that, though mom and dad brought them, brought them here. Oh, while we may correct and redirect with words, we won't be disciplining children here. Not in the sense that fathers are to discipline their children as instructed in Proverbs. Whoever spares the rod hates the son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Discipline involves pain and can and should be broader than the rod or striking behind parts, specially made for sitting and in the context of being reared, striking. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, this is a father's work. It is also a mother's work, a word about the relationship of husband and wife in parenting and discipline. The father, the husband is the head of his home, but there should be one approach to discipline that is consistent between the two. There may be conversations that are appropriate for the father uniquely, but wives... We or you, sorry, you, this is where I will talk to you because I can't say we, should not say, you just wait till your father comes home and he becomes the bad guy. Work his mother and father to, to meet out discipline consistently and together. Nevertheless, the father stands behind the mother. The mother isn't standing behind the father's authority. The father is the head of his home, and he bears responsibility for the discipline of his children, even if he is not home and his wife is carrying that out. They do it together, and the children should know that. Others may feed, clothe, and shelter, and give gifts to and delight our children, but it's a unique indication of a father's relationship and authority that he would discipline his children. It is the father's unique Burden, the unique burden of parents. Discipline says something to you and me that we can't forget. And you can't forget it in your hardships on account of Christ in your race to the end. The Father is saying to you, you are my son. He is addressing you as sons. He is saying, you are mine. I have you. Which is to say, in our hardships and experience of discipline for his sake, we must not think, friend, do not think that the Lord is mistreating you as others are mistreating you. But in your mistreatment here in this life, no, the Father is treating you as his own. And that is a blessing and an encouragement this morning, even as it comes to us as correction. Discipline says to us, you are my son. Discipline also says something about us. It says we are sons, and it also says we are loved by our Father. Didn't we just read these verses? 
Whoever spares the rod hates his son. And why would it be put that way? For it is in directing and shaping the life of the son through discipline that the father is loving his son into the rest of his life. No one else can do this. Certainly the kid can't can't do this for himself. In this matter of love, right here, see it, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The reason the author has to say this is because it is counterintuitive to us in our experience. It doesn't feel like love. But we're reminded that it is love. For the love, the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. And so fathers, it's a reason that in our own fathering, we should not discipline out of wrath or hatred or from a heart that despises a child. In sin, we may feel those things in moments. But it is not how we're instructed to discipline. Discipline flows from a heart that, that loves. It is because of love. It is unto love. We don't discipline out of wrath. We discipline as those who are receiving our children, even in discipline. He chastises every son whom he receives. And so the child in our discipline should not feel rejected by us alienated from us except to the extent that their sin has alienated them from us but the discipline is actually meant to bring them back it's meant to to give visibility and experience to the consequence of sin that is otherwise invisible to them so that they might come to us and it should be palpable and sensible to them that that is our intention. Children should have a clear sense that we have their best interests in mind. And their best interests in the first place is that they are ours and that they would know that. Oh, I said at the beginning, fatherhood is the happiest thing among the happiest things I know. It is also one of the hardest responsibilities I know. This is an important word for me You can ask my kids. Fathers, this means the discipline is essential for us. Notice that it is a given in the passage. This isn't in the first place instruction on parenting. I'm going to do some of that. For the purpose of the sermon, it's actually to pay off in our relationship with God. Meditating on fatherhood and parenting so that we might better understand God's relationship with with us, but understand, fathers, that discipline is a given. In other words, it is not optional in our parenting of our children. It's not the only tool we have or approach that we have with our kids to shape them. There is discipline and instruction. There is, there is negative correction. There is positive instruction in the context of a relationship in which all kinds of other things are happening. Think of Deuteronomy 6 and you're putting the word of God on doorposts and in the doorway and along the way. And there's a way to walk with the kids. And there's meals to have with the kids. And there's playing to be done with the kids. Discipline is hardly the whole of the relationship. It is periodic and it is as needed. We all have to work out how that's going to look in our homes and in our, our parenting. It is not the only tool. However, it is an absolutely necessary tool and you neglect it to your peril, the peril of your family, the peril of your children, the peril of your relationship with your children. 
Save yourself a little convenience in the moment by foregoing discipline in crucial years. Develop a habit of that and you may not get them back. You may think you're pursuing a friendship with the child and offering grace by foregoing discipline in a moment. You're not offering them grace. You're giving them grief. We greatly misunderstand this relationship of grace and discipline. I picked up, I've got a handful of parenting books on my shelf. I haven't read through them all, but I have them as a part of a library and to prep for sermons like this. I picked up a very popular book, and I'll let you pick up the books that you have on your shelf and do your own inspection. And I thought, oh, there's probably a good section on discipline in this, this book. And so I looked at the chapters. There's no chapter on discipline. So I went to the back, and I thought, well, let me look at the verses in Proverbs it pulls out. There's about four. I want to say one of them was about discipline, when we have lots of Proverbs on parenting. Then I looked for when discipline was mentioned in the book, and there were about seven or eight mentions. But, oh, well, we've got a section on discipline here somewhere. It's just hidden under the, the headers of the chapter. We had no actual section on discipline. And I go back and look. In fact, each of the sections that I saw where discipline was mentioned, it was mentioned in order to say, but you need to show them grace, but you need to show them grace. I wanted to vomit. Like, I'm not going to recommend this book to anybody. I'm not about naming names in, in sermons unless I have to. Again, I'm giving you what you need to do your own work. But parenting books reflect fads of the day, thought fads. Parenting books reflect the idiosyncrasies of the authors, what they're pushing back against, what they didn't like in the parenting they had, what they see in their day. All that's going on. Uh, This verse here, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him uh, is diligent to discipline him. Excuse me, another verse. This verse here, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That was mentioned once in this 200-page parenting book, but it was mentioned in a chapter about foolishness, and the antidote to foolishness was something like, teach them their story and about glory, and there were two other things, and discipline was not mentioned. I have no idea how that happened, except that we are flawed parents, and that is a flawed parenting book. I'm suggesting to you, from this passage right here, that we must not forget, as one author has, and many parents have, and as I can, we must not forget that discipline is not, in the final analysis, a grievous thing, but a good thing, a gracious thing, and it is a loving thing. And you love your children by disciplining your children. Discipline says to us, you are my son." And discipline says about us, you are loved by your Father. And so fathers in the room, discipline is essential. And praise the Lord, it is essential in our Heavenly Father's relationship toward us. And why is it essential? Well, think about it when it comes to children. Because of what's in their hearts. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I mean, some of this is natural. My children... Don't come ready loaded with an understanding of bedtime. I got one little daughter who folds herself up under a blanket anywhere in the house at any time of the day to take a nap. She loves her naps, but then she wants to be up all night. Okay, we're working on that. But you get the idea. 
She gets credit for wanting to sleep. It's not credit for willing to sleep when she's supposed to. They don't know when bedtime is. They don't know what the road is. They don't know they're supposed to brush their teeth. They don't know that they're supposed to wear clothes. When I was growing up, there's this famous story. I'll only give you one, I think. I wasn't willing to get dressed in the morning, and the bus was coming. So mom said, all right, your clothes are on the front porch. She sent me out to the front porch and shut the door. So I had, I had to get dressed on the front porch, and I went and got on the bus. I got dressed before the bus drove by my house. <laughs> Kids don't, like, they don't know. The little ones run around naked. You've got to put clothes on them. They don't know these things. Get a little older, and it changes, right? Um, curfew. They don't know that they really should come home before a certain time. You get to decide when that time is because you're the parent. They don't know these things. There's all kinds of things they don't know. By nature, because they're children. So be humble, children, before parents who do know these things and are not foolish. And their discipline of you, of various kinds, is intended to drive this foolish out. It's bound up in your heart, and the rod drives it far away. But there's also moral foolishness, and we could express that very simply in the child's basic tendency to disregard the parent's direction as it concerns all those other things. So what does Paul say to children in Ephesians chapter 6? Obey your parents in the Lord. It's your one command. If you do that, you're good. Keeps it simple for the kids. One command, obey your parents. And it is the nature of children not to do that, which brings about corrective discipline. Why is discipline a loving thing? Well, because of what's in the heart of a child and what's in our hearts as humans, but also because of what's in our hearts as parents, what's in our Father's heart, which is love. The Lord gives to us as parents a special love for our children. I do not have a special love for your children. I don't. I love your children as a Christian man and pastor in the church can love children and give thanks to God for them, but I don't lay awake at night thinking about your kids I'm not worried about whether they will eat. I'm not concerned with their discipline except to the extent that I'm concerned about their soul and our discipleship here and all of that. No, I have a special love for my kids, my children. And the Lord has a special love for his children. To labor tirelessly in disciplined parents, is to labor tirelessly in love for your children. And we ever need the reminder that in the Lord's discipline of us, he is addressing us as sons. He is saying to you, you're my son. And he is saying about you, you are dearly loved by your father. And so this is one reason why we must discipline our children so that they can read that and know what it means. So that the distance isn't so great between this relationship described and our experience as sons with fathers and our relationship with our heavenly father. So discipline is an immense privilege. It's an immense privilege. 
Let us not deny our kids that privilege. And let us not forget the privilege that it is to be disciplined by the Lord. A great encouragement to us all in our hard times. All right, so how does it work exactly? We've explored that a little bit. But you think, if the Lord wanted to communicate to me that that I was his son, but he branded me in a painful way with the word son, I might ask, couldn't we use a pen? Uh, Isn't there some other way to get this done? The pain in the case of discipline is not arbitrary. The pain is doing something. It is productive. So discipline is not for everyone. It's a privilege. And discipline is for your good, verses 9 through 10. It's for your good. It's productive. God is saying more than something to us or about us in discipline. He is doing something in us and he is doing something for us. In in 9 and 10 we have two verses, two arguments from lesser to greater. Author of Hebrews consistently does this. There's this, how much more? There's this, how much more? That's what we get. That's what we get here. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Now, the contrast here, sometimes it's hard to figure out what exactly is the the point of contrast. Father of spirits is a bit of a strange expression. I think it gives it away, though. Uh, That's the way in which he's different. Our heavenly Father. Father, spiritually, he made us. But we have our earthly fathers. We know what that means. The ones that made us biologically. The ones in our homes who care for us. And then we have our Father who is in heaven. The Father of our Lord Jesus. Our Father of whom we are sons if we are in Christ. That is the first point of comparison. We should discipline our children, fathers, when they disrespect us and for disrespect. We should also discipline our children for respect. As in, because it's through discipline that we will cultivate their respect. See this here? We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Proper fear. A proper regard for dad as father. I respected my father when he was reading the newspaper growing up in the corner in the family room. But oh, I respected him when I was sitting on that stool and he was interrogating me about what happened at school that day and why I was in trouble and what I said to mom when I came home. And I suppose I respect my dad now that I'm older because he was reading the paper in the corner, or for us, reading an article on our phones. But really, there's not a whole lot to that, except that he knows his world and he's reading. Oh, no. But because my father confronted me about my misbehavior and my disrespect and my disobedience, I fear and respect him as my father. And it's actually on the basis of that properly ordered relationship that even now in adulthood, he has my respect and is a proper friend. 
So much parenting goes so wrong because we're aiming at the wrong thing. A parent-child relationship is not a buddy-buddy relationship. God did not give parents to children so that children would have buddies. Does that help? Because I said parent-child relationship is not a buddy-buddy relationship, and you may have said, oh, but I want to have a good relationship with my child. Yes, of course. Yes, I want to have a friendship with my child. It's appropriate to aim for that. But let me show that even you are thinking about it differently, I hope. I'm 42, and I don't hang out with three-year-olds. I'm 42, and I don't go out to coffee with 13-year-olds. There's a physical difference. There's an age difference. There's a wisdom difference. There's responsibility. There's difference. And there is a difference between a parent and a child that is natural and should be reflected in that relationship. And mom and dad, if you're aiming at mere friendship, or a buddy-buddy, asymmetric, or a symmetrical relationship where you're, there's parity, you're always hoping to have that sort of parity with your child, you, you will not actually achieve that in the long run, even if it feels like you have it in the short run. It is in the proper ordering of that parent and child relationship in which you are doing your job for their sake that you will earn their respect and have their friendship long term. There is asymmetry between us. And it is this way with us and God, right? We opened our service with this song concerning the holiness of God. It's called A Holy God. Every refrain ends, only a holy God. And our final line of the final verse, who else invites me to call him Father? Only my holy God. And why is it just so wonderful that Jesus says he's a friend of sinners or that this God calls us his Father? Why don't we take that for granted? Well, because he's a holy God and he's condescended to us and in love he's opened his arms to us because of who he is and because of a basic asymmetry in the relationship, a hierarchy in the relationship, creator, creature, father, son. But that is not mutually exclusive with an intimate relationship and a close relationship. And so all of that has to be managed by moms and dads together. Mom and dad, don't be afraid of setting your target on respect and disciplining faithfully with a view to the child respecting you, for that is the foundation of a truly meaningful relationship down the road, if God so so blesses. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Now, here's the second part of an argument. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? You see, we respected them, our earthly fathers, and that respect grew with time, if all went right. How, shall we not much more be subject, obey our Father, Father of the spirits, and live, which is the result? So as we discipline our children and respect and proper fear and regard grows, so obedience grows, so respect grows, so obedience grows, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and lives? Let us give our kids an analogy to their relationship with their heavenly Father so that they will reflexively obey him and trust him and be subject to him.
because of their respect for us and how their consciences and wills were trained to obey their parents. Yes, yes, in the little things and in the big. It's easy to let the little things go. Don't let them go. We're training our children to obey their Father in heaven. Oh, and he's so worth obeying. He's so worth obeying. This next, this next argument in verse 10 will help us with a tension that you all are feeling and that I'm, I'm feeling. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. There's more than a difference between uh, our heavenly father and our earthly fathers than that he's the father of spirits and our earthly fathers are fathers of our bodies and in our homes. And that's good to know. Our fathers disciplined us for a short time. Isn't it good to remember, parents, that it is a short time? All you older people who told me that it would go fast, I thought you lied to my face. And uh, you were not lying to my face. It goes very fast. It goes very fast. I grew up and my mom would say, I miss you already. I'm like, oh, mom. No, that's a good line. It's a good line. Life comes at you fast. It goes by you fast. And kids grow up fast. This is just a reminder. It's how it is. Our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time. Fathers, you only have so much time with your kids. Maybe, dad, you need to get a different job. It feels earth-shaking. It might change your lifestyle. It might mean you've got to move, change houses, change your lifestyle. Are you traveling so much? Or are you so tied up and stressed that within your own human limitations, you don't have the space to do good on your responsibility to instruct and discipline your children. Or maybe you've got time to discipline, but no time for a relationship in which that discipline is to take place. It is perfectly appropriate for sometimes some Christians within our church to change jobs so they can parent better, even if it's within a season, and even if that affects their career long term. There's no better investment than the investment in your children. In fact, before God, you owe it to your kids to make sure you're all there for them. Now, that doesn't mean jobs are easy. Thorns and thistles, jobs are very hard. and doesn't mean that travel is now a taboo in our church. It's not. You all have to work this out yourselves. But you should know if you've hit your ceiling and gone past and things are coming undone at home. As mom keeps saying, we need an answer to this. Well, maybe, maybe you have them for a short time have them for a short time. And he also says, they disciplined us as it seems best to them. Now, I find this a very, like, four of the most encouraged, some of most encouraging English words in my Bible right there, as it seemed best to them. I take a few things from that, two things at least, that in this matter of parenting, there is, by God's design, built-in flexibility. Our children are different. Their natures are different. One feels no shame. The next immediately feels shame. One feels no pain. Takes more. The next one, not so 
much. Every child is different in their nature. And there may be other complexities to figure in here. Children are different in their ages, in their maturity. I've noticed that my children develop more emotional maturity as they keep growing. Like the baby cries all the time, but the 14-year-old doesn't cry all the time. And it was okay when they were little, but it would be super weird if they did that at 14 because there is development and parents, we're given our kids and it's our job to put to work what the Lord has said concerning discipline in the context of our parenting, which involves accounting for the kids and their ages. The children are different. The parents and the couples are different. And every couple needs to work out how they're going to go about this. Every dad is different. I've found, you know, one dad gives me advice. I'm like, oh, he doesn't know it. He doesn't need to give me that advice. Uh, Oh, okay. He's super easy and passive and he struggled with that. So he needs to be firm. Like I'm firm. I'm automatically firm. I need to soften up. So know yourself, know your friends. All the advice that worked for you isn't best for the next person. All of this has to be worked out. Children are different. Parents and couples are different. Circumstances are different. As it seems best to us in Target is one way. Maybe a little pinch under the arm. Like it's almost invisible, but it's very effective when they're little. I don't do that with the big ones there. They follow us now in Target. But at home, at the home, that's different. So there's flexibility. In this matter of flexibility, as it seemed best, isn't an escape hatch from any obligation here. It it means that you will account to God for your parenting. That should actually up the ante. You can't just copy and paste what someone else did and say, oh, well, I guess it doesn't work. No, it needs to seem best to you. According to your kids and your constitution and your, your marriage, In these circumstances before you, there's not infinite flexibility because it seems best to you and something doesn't. But this should help us, this should help us in some ways help each other while staying out of each other's way, right? Grandparents, I'm not there, but I can imagine. We want to help our kids, but I'm sure it's a temptation to hover. I'm so grateful for my parents and Christy's parents. They've been helpful and they haven't hovered. And the older I get, I'm kind of amazed at how they haven't hovered, actually, and picked at us. Because I've seen some of the things my kids did when we were at their houses. We were at a church last week up in uh, North Carolina or somewhere, Virginia, on vacation, over there. Um, I've got some embarrassing stories about finding out where I was on the map. Um, So yeah, we're at a friend's church in Virginia and little Britain is pulling on Christy's arm. Christy's talking to the pastor's wife. They hadn't met, they're talking. A little cup spills on the ground under a chair. I don't know that it was us. Someone put their cup in the wrong place, but it might have been Britain. So Christy's gone now and I say, oh, let me clean up this coffee here. And she said, oh yeah, some lady's little kid was yanking on his arm. Okay, well... I'm observing it too. I'm like, well, we got to get this under control. So last night, Britain's asking for something and we say no. And he asks again. He's just struggling. It's all right there. Like what happens in public and the arm thing, it's all right there at nine o'clock on the floor of the kitchen. 
and letting him ask five times. And we're working it out. And sometimes there's a lag and when it registers to us, and when we figure out how to manage it. And we've done this a couple times already. All I'm saying is, it's, 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 it must be difficult not to hover and peck and inspect. This here, this matter of as it seems best to them, doesn't that help us? Doesn't it help you? Doesn't it free you to pray, to offer help? But ultimately, they account to God for their kids, and God's got it. Grandparents, he's put you in their life for a reason and you have a special relationship in that family, but you don't have to go to bed at night responsible for the parenting of your grandkids. Their encouragement of the parents, the encouragement of the kids and other things, sure, maybe even instruction as that's appropriate, but that marriage is ultimate and their parenting is ultimate for, for that kid as it seems best to them. That can help us help each other too and not be so judgy as is so easy to be on this on this front, and I don't think we have a problem with this as a church, but it's just good to, to remind you. Flexibility. Also, fallibility, as it seems best to them. Oh, I think what the author's doing here is just acknowledging in a very efficient way. Listen, I know your fathers weren't perfect. They did as it seems best to them. Moving on with the analogy, this isn't a parenting manual, but he's acknowledging the tension in the mind of the hearer, in my mind, in your mind, in my kids' minds, that my dad wasn't exactly like this in every respect. And it's true, friends, parents, come on. Our timing is often off. It's too early. Our temperature was too hot. It was in front of people. It was too early. It was too late to have its proper effect. We're inconsistent. We burn the benefit of our 80% consistency by neglecting to be consistent the rest of the 20% of the time and training our kids always to bet, like gambling, that we're going to let them off this time because they're always going to remember how they might get let off. Don't let them off. Air seal them off. At our home, we had this season. We adopted Madeline and Carson. They were 20 months, 10 months, and then 20 months. And we had to figure out, we didn't you know, have the nine-month pregnancy, and then they're little babies, and then let's talk about, we were there, we're in. And we were late in corporal punishment, discipline, and we figured it out, got some advice, and we had what we called a surge and shock and awe. We had some strategies and the more, the more pain and difficulty and investment and sweat for us in consistency, the more it just broke their will and trained them and had them give up in a good way. Consistency. We're often so inconsistent. I can be. We are now at times. Our intentions. Sometimes we discipline in raw anger. And sometimes we discipline pride making sure we look good in front of people. Pride. Your kids can pick that up. You only discipline when it's in front of other people. And by the way, the other people can tell that something's not going on at home. And our intensity, sometimes too light, not painful enough to have its effect. The love pat doesn't count. And sometimes too heavy. We have to work this out, parents. I can be too heavy in my spirit. Provoke our children to anger. Friends, let us consider this, that discipline is required of the Lord, from the Lord and that it is necessary. And we have these Proverbs that I read 
But our application of these things is not the word of God. It is not coextensive with God's principles. Our our implementation of the word of God is not coextensive with the word of God. So we should work hard at discipline, but we should be humble in our discipline. We do wrong by our kids, and it's a danger for our kids for us to fail to discipline them. It is a sinful thing to fail to discipline your kids. It is also dangerous for them to discipline them without ever acknowledging that we can fail in discipline. As if everything we have ever done with the motives we've had and with the intensity we had and with the inconsistency we had, it comes right off the page of the Bible. There's different kinds of tyrants. There's the kinds that are all fire all the time. And there's also the kinds that are arbitrary and say, I'm the parent. So it's okay to say, and I've had to do it. My motive was wrong. My timing was wrong. Sweetheart, I don't want you to miss the lesson I'm trying to give you. I'm working on teaching it to you. I don't want you to miss it. And just because you're sinning doesn't mean you always come with your tail between your legs to your kids. I don't think you have to to verbalize every possible ill motive you've ever had. But, but confession needs to be a part of the relationship. You're doing as it seems best to you. Let your kids grow up knowing there's a difference between God, his discipline, and, and yours. Because you see, the Lord dis- they, parents discipline us for a short time, but he disciplines us for our good. Oh, and it's certainly, and it's always good, that we may share in his holiness. The point is, and this whole thing isn't our parenting, it's the Lord's fatherhood. And what are his intentions but our holiness, which is not, which is not his, um, his holiness. Sharing in his holiness isn't sharing in his boringness or sharing in his starchiness or sharing in his haughtiness. That's not what's meant by holy. It's sharing in his very life. It's sharing in his love. In a world that's loveless, it's sharing in his righteousness, the fruit of righteousness in a world that is rebellious. It's sharing in his peace in a world that is hostile. Sharing in his life, sharing in his holiness, sharing in his life as sons of a father. You see, Adam was a son and the Lord Jesus is a son and we are sons, brothers with Jesus through faith in him. We're his children And as sons, we're being conformed to the image of the true son, Jesus. To be a son, men and women in Christ, is to be a child of God, conformed to the image of God. Made in the likeness, not of the old Adam, but of the new Adam who is is Christ. This is what it means to share in his holiness. And this is his purpose for us in discipline. And as we're breaking the wills of our kids and shaping their hearts through discipline... So the Lord breaks our wills and shapes our hearts through discipline. And part of the good news of the gospel is not only that we're purified from an evil conscience, constantly accusing us and calling us guilty when we're free before him, but it also purifies us over time through discipline. The training of it purifies us from an evil heart. He actually changes our hearts. Discipline is not for everyone be encouraged. Discipline is for your good. Be encouraged. And be encouraged that discipline, it's only for a moment, just a period of time. And this is such an important acknowledgement here at the end. For the moment, discipline seems painful 
rather than pleasant. The pastor who wrote this felt like he needed to say that, and I'm glad that I get to say it here. Your hardships, they're really painful, and they are for your good, but they do not feel good, and it's okay to say that to each other. The Lord's purposes do not cancel out your pain. It's real, and the scripture validates it for us. But pain is how discipline works. As the Lord breaks our wills and as he shapes our wills. But it is good to know that pain is not the goal. Peace is the goal. The peaceful fruit of righteousness there in verse 11. And so it is in our homes, fathers. That the goal of discipline and the hard, the pain of discipline is peace on the other side. A peaceful relationship with your child. Who likes a kid who's whining all the time? Who, who doesn't take your word? Who doesn't do what you say? Who lies to you? No, discipline. The goal of it is a peaceful relationship between you and your children. And what a gift to your kids that they would have a peaceful relationship with mom and dad. It's a peaceful relationship between children. Ultimately, the goal is a peaceful relationship with their heavenly father. As you have written the script for them and shown them the way to God through godly discipline in your home. Two applications are sitting right here in verse 5. You ever wonder if your mistreatment on account of Christ is God's mistreatment of you? Or if he's left you off? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Friends, do not reject the discipline of the Lord by treating it lightly, rolling your eyes at it, thinking it nothing. And don't treat it lightly or reject it by counting it as worthless, merely something to get through. Do you get that? The discipline of the Lord and your hardship is not just something you need to get through. It is something that you need and it's God's gift to you. It's his love to you. So give him praise for it in it. And don't treat it lightly by ignoring it or treating it as something incidental to his purposes for your life and eternity. Don't reject it, but receive it. Now, the second thing here, nor be weary when reproved by him. Maybe you have a very different constitution and posture toward God in your hardship. Well, friend, don't receive his discipline as his rejection because it is not that. No, it's not his rejection at all. To all of us, in the Lord's discipline, he is saying something to you. You are my son. And he's saying something about you, friends. You are dearly beloved of your father. Let's pray. Oh, dear father in heaven, we thank you that we can call you the Holy One of Israel Father, this morning. And we take that a little less for granted now. And we even call you Father, not in spite of our discipline and trials, but because of them, because we know that through them you are calling us sons. As we hang on to you, and as that is hard for us, so you are training us to hang on all the tighter. And we thank you that we can look to the Lord Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.